Hello and welcome to Messages at BBC. In these messages, you'll hear from professors, staff, guest speakers, as well as students. These messages were spoken and recorded on campus at Boise Bible College. If you'd like to check out Boise Bible College, please see our website at boisebible.edu. Just to express our thanks to these guys. That was a great... That was, that was really refreshing uh, for me, just a, a simplicity of worship. My name is Mark, and I'm going to be speaking to you a number of times throughout the week. Uh, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, and anytime you talk about the Holy Spirit, like I've done this before, I know that people kind of cock their heads and go, yeah, I'm not sure I agree with that. My goal is not to get you to agree with me. In fact, I'm not even sure I agree with myself on some of the things I'm going to say. Because I'm going to test out, particularly in the morning session, I'm going to test out some ideas that I've been thinking about. They're not fully baked, so fair warning. I'm just going to throw some things out there, and here's why. I don't care if you know about the Holy Spirit more than before. I care that you know the Holy Spirit more than before. You don't have to agree with me to do that, but thinking through some of these things, debating, discussing, might be helpful. And I'll tell you why I want us to know the Holy Spirit, so that we can grow our church. The church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. And our world is hopeless. We are in a chaotic mess. And if we don't give people the hope of Jesus Christ, this world is, is going to be a very difficult place for our children and grandchildren to live in. So part of my biography is right now I'm serving a church in Phoenix, Arizona. It's one of those ridiculously large churches. We have averaged over 35,000 uh, in weekly attendance uh, this year. Now, d- I know that seems large to you. It doesn't seem large to me. And the way we talk about it on our staff is this. We have a city of 5 million people. Do you know how large any corporation or any business has to be to impact their community? You have to have 3% of the market share to begin to make an inroads to drive the community. Now, to control the community, you need 18%. You don't even need a majority. 18% of people in a unified block will drive a community. To influence a community, you need 3%. We saw that with the LGBTQ community over the last 25 years. It's about 3% of that population, of our population, is involved in that community. Of course, they have many more supporters, but that 3% has really controlled the narrative on, in Hollywood and in television programming and on the news. I want to be that 3% that drives our market. Do you know how large our church would have to be to get to 3%? 150,000 members. We are going to get there. But we are not a large church. A large church makes a difference in the broader watching world. And if we're going to be light to our world, if we're going to fulfill the Lord's prayer so that heaven is on earth, that God's rule is on earth as it is in heaven, we have to go for percentages, not just numbers. And so that's what I want to get at. And one of the things I've noticed about Phoenix is true in the northeast or the northwest as well. You're an outdoor community. Am I right? Hiking, hunting, fishing. Uh, we are too. We're just in a wild, wild desert. Now, our, our winter is June through September. 
everyone stays inside because it's just so stupid hot. But really, nine months out of the year, we're outdoors. We're biking. I was talking to Vance Russell about this. He's one of your professors here in uh, Greek and New Testament. We both lived in the Midwest for a while. I commuted on my bike as an environmentalist. I did it partly for exercise, partly as an environmentalist. I commuted on my bike, and in Joplin, Missouri, if you're riding a bike, you're either a Mormon missionary or a DWI. It's one of those two. And they'll run you over for either reason. They don't care. So it's a whole different ballgame for me. And one of the things I've noticed, maybe you've noticed in your church too, a lot of guys, particularly men more than, more than women, I think, say, I don't connect with God in church. I connect God, with God in nature. I, I, I hear God. Oh, like we've got Sedona, okay? They look at crystals there. They're like Wiccans and weird people. You have some of those too. It's called Portland. And <laughs> when people prefer, I've seen Portlandia, I really have. Been to Voodoo Donuts, by the way. I'm not, I won't admit that any, anymore this week. But when you, when you have an outdoor community, there's a sense of, I meet God outdoors, and we go, no, you got to come to church. And they go, no, I sense God in the wind and the waves and the trees. What if the pagans are right? What if they do sense the Holy Spirit? Derek, I, uh, you know, you and I both had Mark Scott as a professor. And like he, he's not Jesus, but I do think he walks on water. And when I became a staff member, he, we, he and I became colleagues. It was very intimidating for me. It's like that Sesame Street song, one of these things is not like the other. So we were both teaching a upperclassman. It was kind of an undergraduate class, but it was taught at a graduate level. His was Christology, the study of Christ. Mine was pneumatology. I love that word. You should know it. The study of the Holy Spirit. So he asked me, he was preaching one weekend, he said, would you come and substitute for my class on Christology? And he had the class read a book, Start with Jesus by Kinlaw. And Kinlaw's argument is, look, if you want to get to know God, Gospel of John says this, chapter 1, verse 14, chapter 1, verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the one and only, except, except God, the one and only, who is at the Father's right hand and has made him known. I bungled the quotation, but you get it. Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, you don't know God. In fact, a lot of people ask, is Jesus, is God, is Jesus God? I think we should be asking, is God Jesus? This is another sermon for another day. But you do not know God. You don't know his love. You don't know how near he is. And you don't know that God suffers. No religion guesses those three things except Christians. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know God, because Jesus is the clearest representation of God. And so I asked the class, what did you think about the book? We had a discussion, but I said, okay, if you agree with Kinlaw, then you need to drop Mark Scott's class and take mine. Because Jesus left. He is in heaven. He is not here. And the greatest access that you have to God right here, right now, is through the Holy Spirit of God. And here's what's interesting about that. Christians have greater access to Jesus than non-Christians. But everyone has equal access to the presence of the Spirit in this world. Everyone. Everyone. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Now, obviously, we have the Holy Spirit uh, who seals us. That's a different level of relationship. But every human being and every animal 
has access to the presence of the Spirit of God. Now, you can disagree with me on that, but you're wrong. I'll just tell you right now. I'm going I'm to prove it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. This is where all theology begins. And so if we, if we begin with a conversation with an outsider, and by the way, one of the reasons that I left the college to go to CCV, Christ Church of the Valley, is because it was the, one of the very few churches that I ever met and the only church that actually offered me a job, and there's not that many, so you've know, got to run where you can go, is they prioritize outsiders over insiders. I just answered an email this morning from a, a, a guy in Ohio, and he got in trouble for having a... a, a a woman speak on his stage on Mother's Day. And so he's having that whole debate with this elderly gentleman, happens to be a male, doesn't matter. And, and part of what I want to say to him is you have to fight not, sometimes you have to fight with the people who are in your church so that you can fight for the people who are not yet in your church. We have to prioritize outsiders who haven't yet heard about Christ. And we can start by connecting them with the Spirit of God. So here's where all the conversations need to begin. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You believe that, I assume. Do you realize that that is the most unique creational statement of all religious literature? Here's the difference. If you go to like the, the Enuma Elish story, a Babylonian creation story, it will say that the world was created. And it even uses kind of some of the flood narrative and some of the creation narrative, similar to Genesis. But what Genesis says that no other religious text says is that God is eternal and matter was created. And that matters. Because Enuma Elish assumes that matter is created. The Greek pantheon believed that matter was eternal. Hinduism, matter is eternal. Taoism, matter is eternal. But in Judaism, God is eternal. And the reason I think that's so important is we live in a concrete five-sense world. And so to us, what you touch, see, taste, smell is the most real but what the Bible says is there's a reality that is more eternal than the physical realities, and that is God. Now, what, what I've noticed is that all three members of the Trinity are present here in the first three verses of Genesis. Have you seen that? God created. He's the architect. But as you know, God didn't actually do the work of creation, like the building. The carpenter of creation is Jesus Christ, the Logos. Verse 3, God said, that's the Logos, let there be light, and Jesus went out and created light. God said, let there be land and sea, and Jesus went out and created land and sea. And so God the Father is in verse 1, he's the architect. God the Son is in verse 3, he's the builder. The engineer is in verse 2. That's the Holy Spirit. And, and verse 2 says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That word hovering, miruchefeth, is a vibration. And the waters, it's a Hebrew term called tohu vavohu. Tohu vavohu, the, the deep and the chaotic. The Holy Spirit is over whatever is out of order. Now, I'm going to make a point of that in a minute, but let me just throw out an idea. And I, uh, this is part of what I'm not convinced yet, but here's what I'm thinking through. 
what happens culturally, like let's eliminate the church for a minute, what happens culturally when we remove God the Father from the creational account? You have seen it. This is interesting. You take God out of the equation, the Father out of the equation, human beings in Western culture will always, always do two things. They exalt animals to human status and they demote humans to animal status. Think about it. How many people do you know that put their pets in pet cemeteries? Like if I were just investing in something, or I would invest in pet cemeteries because it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Look, we have Sun City where I live, and all these older people have their little dogs. They, like they, they, they're convinced that they're humans. My wife thinks our dog is a human, and she's a Christian. Barely, but she, I mean, she, she is. She talks to that thing. Now, it, it, it does have a vocabulary of about 50 words. I'll, I'll grant her that. But you see the idea. You go to New York, and you have people actually taking dogs to a restaurant and ordering $50 meals for their dogs. I told a story last night of a woman who wanted to baptize her dog. There, there are actually laws now in some kind, on the, they're trying to get them on the books where you can marry a pet. That's really disgusting. But it's happening. On the other hand, you've got humans. Can you believe what's happening in New York? They cheered for infanticide. Okay, they passed a law that you could kill a baby up to and through birth, and they cheered. And yet, if you destroy the fetus of a bald eagle, you will pay $50,000 in fines. 16-year-old girl goes, and goes to have an abortion. They cannot force that girl to tell her parents that she is murdering their grandchild. But we're going to protect baby seals. That always, always, always happens. When you remove the father from the creational equation, humans are demoted to animals and animals are promoted to human beings. But, and we know that. And like, in, I know this is the amen choir. I'm preaching to you guys. And you go, yeah, yeah, go tell him, preacher. But what happens if you remove Jesus from the creational equation? And almost every Christian I know does. What happens in our minds when you take Jesus out of the creational equation. And we know that he is the engineer. He did the actual work of creation, like roll up his sleeves and, and, and make light and earth and sky and sea. If you do that, then salvation is taken out of this world. See, Jesus created this world. He made the stuff in which we live. He died for our sins in this world. And you are not going to heaven. I don't know if you realize this. You're not. You're going to a new earth. The new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem comes down on the new earth, and that's where we dwell. But when you take Jesus out of the creational equation and talk about him as the engineer of this world, then you ignore the fact that you get a new body and live on a new earth. And salvation, and this is pretty much common in Christian churches, salvation is about getting to heaven. Even though the Lord's Prayer, Jesus told us to pray, not to get to heaven, but to bring heaven to earth. And so we ignore things like social justice and literacy 
and all, all kinds of other social issues. What happens if you remove the Holy Spirit from the creational equation? And this is where almost, I don't know that I've heard more than a, two or three people even talk about this. When you ignore the Holy Spirit in the creational account, the creation itself becomes mere material and not divine substance coming out of God. Now, I'm not saying that trees and rocks and rivers are divine, but they do come out of God because we're Christians. We do not believe that matter is eternal. We believe that God is eternal. And matter is a projection of, it comes out of, it was created by God and his substance. Now, I don't know how to talk about that in, in terms of physics, but let me show you why I believe that, and we can discuss this later. The Holy Spirit has always been the engineer of creation. In other words, I, think of it this way. God created the heavens and the earth, and then he did something extraordinary. He gave us the paintbrush and said, you finish the portrait. We create the world. God created the heavens and the earth. We create the world. And our partner in the Trinity to do that is the Holy Spirit that is coursing through all of creation. Look at Genesis 2 verse 7. If you, if, if you look at how life came into a human being, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Now, it's a different word for breath than the normal um, word for Holy Spirit. But the way that we became alive, and the reason you're living right now is because you have breath, and that breath comes from the Spirit of God. That is not just true of the human species. It is true of animals that breathe as well. You want a proof text? Look at this psalm. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Drop down just a few verses later, verse 29. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. Verse 30. When you send your spirit, they are created. You renew the face of the ground. The way I read this, and you can, you can throw a few more passages from uh, the book of Job in as well, that if anything breathes, the reason it breathes is because of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't make animals divine. It doesn't make them human either. What makes you human is not your soul that comes from the Spirit. It is your spirit that comes from God. So we are at a different ontological level than animals. You, you following along? But animals have a connection with the Holy Spirit. Let me get back to tohu vavohu. What the Holy Spirit does, and from the very first time we see the Spirit, we see this consistently everywhere, when the waters were chaotic, the Spirit was hovering, quaking over the waters to bring order out of the chaos. Everywhere there is chaos in creation. Everywhere there is chaos in creation. The Holy Spirit is quivering there. That means where there is an environmental disaster, the Holy Spirit cares about that. And when you take the Holy Spirit out of your creational equation, you tend to diminish and demean the creation itself. And I know far too many Christians 
who have treated the environment as if it is fodder for Armageddon, which would be like stealing from your grandmother in your nursing home because she's going to die anyway. That's wrong, and you know it's wrong. The reason I am, an, the reason I, I am a social justice advocate is because of my Christology. The reason I'm an environmentalist is because of my pneumatology. I sense the spirit in creation. And what if pagans outside your church are sensing the spirit in the natural creation quivering? That could be our link to bring them to Jesus. Now, I would never say that it's sufficient to go to Sedona and look at crystals. Never. Here's why. If a person tells me, man, when I'm just out hunting and I'm in the, in the nature, I just, I sense God. I would say, absolutely right, you do. That is the Holy Spirit of God, and the Holy Spirit has always been in, in creation. Do you sense him quivering? People generally say, yeah, that's why I want to go there. Okay, that's the fingerprints of God. But if you want to see his face, it's not in nature, it's in the church. If you enjoy his fingerprints, and you should, do you want to see his face? That's in the church. Let me show you how this plays out as we move into the New Testament, Romans chapter 8. I'm not sure I have any clue the depth of this passage. Bruce, we might need your, your help with it here, but I'm looking at this incredibly intense passage if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. There's something about the spirit, and this is the step I want people to take from just enjoying nature to seeing the face of God. You can, you can experience, everybody has equal access to the Holy Spirit in nature. Everybody can sense him quaking. When you're getting a divorce, he's quaking. When you have a disease, he's quaking. When your kids are wayward, he's quaking. When you're experiencing anxiety, he's quaking. And I think so many people have difficulty with the problem of pain because they sense that something's not right. There's a quaking in them. There's a, a, a reverberation of this is not right. And people tell me, I can't believe in God because of pain in the world. Because evil things happen. Wait a minute, you just use the word evil. You cannot use the word evil unless you're a theist. You, can, you cannot. Because the very definition of evil implies that there's a good. And if there is no God, there is no good. Because all you have is time, matter, and chance. If you're a Darwinian evolutionist, do not speak to me about morality. Do not speak to me about racism. Do not speak to me about women's rights. Because the only way to say all men are created equal is if you're a theist, because equality comes from God. And if you abandon God, then you have evolutionary biology, and there is nothing. There's an the interesting book called Sapiens. It's written by an atheist who's talking about this very equality thing, and he says it, it, equality is, is, is absolutely ridiculous to talk about because there is no equality in Darwinian evolution. We are not equal. Physically, mentally, emotionally, economic, we're just not equal. So if you believe in equality for all human beings, you have to be a theist of some sort. And this is the transition. 
And what Paul is saying is before you have the Spirit in you, if the Spirit is just around you, you're still dead. And that's why the Spirit is quaking over you. But the moment the Spirit comes in you, even though you were breathing before, you were not fully alive. We cannot be fully human without the Spirit of God. The breath of God, we can be, we can be human. Or we can be alive. But the Spirit of God is what makes us human. Then he goes on in verse 14 to say, or verse 19, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. I'm wondering, what in the world does that mean? I think as I listen to conservative Christians, one of the, one of the big issues right now, of course, is global warming. And what's fascinating to me is some people who know not God speak of this issue as if Mother Earth is our salvation rather than God. Of course they do. Because all pagan creation accounts start with matter as eternal. If matter is eternal, if matter is destroyed, nothing else can live. It is only theists who see matter as the extension or the creation of God. Therefore, God is more important. And and yet I also wonder how Christians can say that human activity does not impact the environment when that, in fact, is the story of Genesis 3. We have been hypocritical. As a matter of fact, this is an interesting, interesting uh, statistic. The majority of the large land mammals have been extinct. Every single major extinction of major land mammals has been when humans arrived in that continent, island, or area. Whether you're a Darwinian evolutionist or whether you're a biblical creationist, you cannot deny that human beings impact the environment. And the environment, according to Paul, of course, he wasn't a scientist, so what would he know? (laughs) Kidding. The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. What does that mean? He goes on, verse 20. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Next verse. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Why? Why is this world groaning? Because of human sin. Let's stop denying it. Let's start agreeing that we are impacting the environment in a negative way. And here's why I want to do that. It's not because I'm a tree hugger and, or I want to save the whales. Although, would that be such a bad thing? It is because my ability, again, what I started with, We're a small church. We have 0.5% of the market share in Phoenix. We need to get to 3%. How am I going to get to 3%? One of the ways that we are going to get to 3% is by caring about things that the Holy Spirit cares about. The Holy Spirit 
is the caretaker of creation. Every animal, every plant, he dotes over creation. Now, he will die for you, but he dotes over creation. And we, when we become creationally sensitive, because humans are the pinnacle of creation, suddenly we give massive care to humans over the lesser plants and animals. I don't know if this is making sense to you, so let me move on. Verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So the way I'm reading this, and again, this is above my pay grade, but I think it has something to do with when I get a renewed body, then the earth will be renewed as well. This has to do with resurrection, and it has to do with the new heaven and the new earth. So you might say, well, why would we care about the present creation? It's destined for destruction. That is a crappy way of thinking, guys. Because if you want to begin setting your trajectory towards a new heaven and new earth, we had better care creationally for this heaven and this earth. And I'll tell you why. If you begin caring about the things the Holy Spirit cares about, then you begin prioritizing what the Holy Spirit prioritizes. And that is always people. As I read broadly in the Bible about the Holy Spirit, there are two major things he cares about. One is the creation in, in, in quivering over chaos, in wanting to set right the creation. And with every breathing creature, the Holy Spirit is connected to that creature, giving life at the molecular level. And yet, the greater concern of the Holy Spirit is justice. And when the Bible describes how the Holy Spirit promotes and cares for justice, it is with a creational metaphor. Watch this. We'll go back to the book of Isaiah. Till the Spirit is poured out on us from on high and the desert becomes a fertile field. I live in a desert. I know what that's like. The desert does become a fertile field. We get less than seven inches of rain a year. It rains in Phoenix in August and in February. Maybe three times, four times. Other than that, it will sprinkle for an hour. We get almost no rain. But brother, when we get rain, the desert comes alive. That's what the Holy Spirit wants. That's the metaphor. But he's not talking about a literal desert. Fertile fields like, seem like a forest. Here's what he's talking about. You move on uh, down the road to verse 16. The Lord's justice will dwell in the desert, his righteousness in a fertile field. Again, I'm playing with an idea with you. I'm playing with an idea. Here's my idea. The reason the Bible uses a, a nature metaphor to deal with justice is when you care for the lesser, you care more for the greater. And when you begin caring for animals, and look, that's our job. We are not conquerors of nature. We are caretakers of nature. Let me say that again. Your job, this is, this is 
Genesis 3. This is Psalm 8. God has made you, human beings, the caretaker of creation. So let's just start there. We as human beings, should be, as Christians, should be the very best environmentalists. Again, I'm not talking about tree huggers because there you have a problem of making the creation eternal rather than God eternal. But as Christians, and we realize the sanctity of this creation that he's given us to live in and the new heaven and the new earth that we will be caretakers of as well, when we begin correctly caring for the stuff that God created, that which is at the highest level, human beings, we begin caring for them even more. But we begin, we, baby steps, right? We walk before you run. When you take care of your own yard, one of, one of the simple practices I've done is every house I've ever lived in, I plant one tree every year. It's just a spiritual discipline for me. Because that tree, as it grows, reminds me of the neighbors that move in next door. You see how that works? And if you can thinking long term about your responsibility for the physical environment that other people live in. And I think that's why when we are attuned to the molecular level of the Holy Spirit's quivering over creation, we begin to be attuned at the social injustice that is all around us. And it is everywhere. The next verse says this, but as for me, I am filled with power with the spirit of the Lord. And if the spirit of the Lord fills you with power, what do you do? With justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. What I love about that, in the church, we have considered it a high priority to preach about righteousness. And we deal with issues that are social issues, like homosexuality, like deception, like materialism. We've been good at that. But what does justice have to do with declaring to Jacob his transgression? Because injustice is the sin of Jacob that he's dealing with. And as we begin preaching of the systemic powers that are affecting the lives of millions, we begin to follow the footsteps of the Holy Spirit in being caretakers of creation. It begins by being aware that the Holy Spirit gives life, he gives breath to, every, to you and to every creature in the world. And then as you begin to care in your own Eden, in your own, like your own backyard, like literally, it's not a metaphor, your own backyard, you care for that. And then you begin caring for your community, and then you realize that there are systems, political, governmental, ecclesiastical, that either help or hinder the liberation of human beings. And so we deal with issues like this, racism. Or like abortion. Or like gender issues. Or like ecological issues. Or like economic issues. And when the church begins to attend to these, we can begin moving from 0.5% of market share to 3% of market share in the community. If I could close by uh, <clears throat> referencing a book that I think will really get us started in this direction. 
It is How the West Won by Rodney Stark. And he, he traces from the Western world how the church has impacted literally every major structure of the Western world, from economics to education to medicine to prison reform. Do, do, you, do you know why we call prisons penitentiaries? It used to just punish people, shame people, put them in stocks. We changed it to penitentiary because Christians began controlling the penal system to bring people to penance or repentance. And we want to not punish criminals, but reform criminals. This is a particularly Christian thought. Do you realize that? I know that America hasn't always had a great track record of racism in the church, but you do realize, of course, that Martin Luther King Jr. was a preacher. You do realize, of course, that no individual has done more for liberation of women than Jesus Christ himself. That you do realize that it is Christians that have been the forefront of abortion and AIDS. Not in America, but in most of Africa, which is far more devastated by AIDS than any other uh, continent in the world, if you don't have Christians, there is no distribution, education, or production of AIDS medication and treatment. Zero. The world needs to know what the church has done for social issues. Now look, I'm not here to make society better. I am here to get people saved, eternally. But if that doesn't start here and now, it is not likely that we're going to attract the attention of a pagan culture around us. And one of the things that I actually like about the direction our country is going is that it is clearer and clearer the difference between true followers of Jesus Christ and the cultural values and mores around us. And let me close with this. This is nothing new. Rodney Stark's first major book was The Rise of Christianity, where he traced through the first three centuries of the church, and he was an agnostic at best when he wrote this. When he wrote his first, he was an agnostic. He's now a, a believer because of examining what the church has done. He explained the rise of Christianity without miracles, without doctrine, without the Bible. It was treatment of women, treatment of children who had been exposed, medical care when plagues uh, devastated the Roman Empire. And I think as the church matures and gets back to our roots, we say we want to be a first century church, right? I mean, that's our, that's our whole tagline. We want, to, we, we want to get back to the roots of who we were. Here's who we were. We took care of our communities. And the reason we did that is because we understood who the Holy Spirit was. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. I, I know that I've tinkered with a lot of ideas here, and some of them may be more accurate than others. I get that. Trying to understand you is it, it's ridiculous that I would even try, but I want to know you. Not understand you, I want to know you, and this is what I know. You care about your creation 
and you give it life and breath, and so do we. And you care about the pinnacle of your creation, human beings, about women who are abused and children who are aborted, about ethnic groups that are disenfranchised, that immigrants that are pushed away, about the lost, the lonely, the hungry. And as we begin caring about those, in that social service, we'll have a greater sense of who you are. And that drives us to you, Holy Spirit. Would you help us with your power to make Jesus famous? In his name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening today. Boise Bible College exists to raise up leaders for the church where we value scholarship, humility, innovation, and community. For more information about Boise Bible College, please see boisebible.edu.